0: hello and welcome to the queer ed podcast with me david church this is the second part of episode four in the first part josh and i already explored his journey through school and how that has had an impact on him understanding his identity as a queer person we talked about how he has grown up in the education system post section 28 and the importance not just on academic subjects, but in developing that holistic view of the child and that how important mental health is in providing open and safe spaces, not just for children within our schools at primary and secondary level, but also for our staff. In this part, part two, Josh explores more of the advice that he thinks teachers need to hear. What are the small things, those incremental things that we can be doing within our school establishments to make the change to ensure that from a queer perspective, every child is accepted and celebrated. Um, what I'd like to do though, now is really just think about if you could give a message back to your teachers or your school, what kind of things would you want to say to them about what they could do to help improve LGBT plus visibility in schools?
1: I think the biggest thing is... For the queer educators out there who are maybe, you know, unsure when they should be opening themselves. I say, just be yourself because even just, you don't have to be, do a whole big coming out. You don't have to be the loudest part of either. But just being yourself. You hold, you provide a good example. You show to, especially in primary education, year seven to nine, you show that there is opportunity that, you know, these kids who maybe are in a really crappy situation, just by seeing you being openly you and existing and having a job and a career and something you like doing, it gets better. It, it, you know, we talk about, you know, the whole, it gets better campaign, but a really great way of doing that is not by telling people it gets better, but just showing that it does showing that, you know, I'm openly queer, you know, I went through the same struggles as you and look where I am now. It does get better. It does exist. And I think two teachers who want to be better allies, who want to be, you know, I think the biggest thing is maybe just recognize where you could include a little bit of extra information, recognize where you could, you know, even if it is just that little side note of that, I think, you know, you can pick up on those. I think a lot of people realize that someone's queer before they sort of realize themselves because there's all these other things going on. And so if you do see that kid that you think maybe they're, can we just you know suggest they go research something else maybe just suggest you know even if they're an artist you know why don't you go tell them to suggest them like a queer artist they can maybe just explore if they're into history here's you know a queer figure you can maybe just look at and i think for allies you don't have to be the loudest you don't have to be calling out heteronormativity you don't have to be trying to dismantle the gender binary or anything like that it's just about recognizing your own sort of privilege maybe and recognizing where the curriculum isn't as inclusive as it is, and try and take that liberty with it, try and, you know, recognise where, hold on, this isn't as truthful or as honest as it is. You know, we've seen that, I think the Black Lives Matter has really exposed that, is, you know, where there is, you know, maybe something that you could add, that adds a little bit more context, that adds more information that makes the world, that shows people the world is a bit more queer than it actually is, or people like to pretend it is you can do a lot with that you can just I think a lot of allies for any community want to be the loudest and the shout about it and do all the stuff but you don't need to you just sometimes need to be that little you be that support you need to when a queer teacher says in a staff meeting for example I don't think this curriculum is inclusive as it could be support them because they know what they're talking about they know what they're saying it's about being the wind behind the sails
0: yeah. And I, I was just reflecting actually and thinking while you were talking there about allies and teachers as allies for, for students. And you you talked earlier about your friend who was is trans and was transitioning while at secondary school. And I just think, I wonder if as a teacher, and I, I say this because on your we're chatting on Zoom and on your hand on your name, it's got he's him in brackets. And a lot of people are doing that now on Zoom calls, but I wonder if at the start of a year, when a child, when you walk into a classroom, if a teacher went, I am Mr. Church, in my example, uh, my preferred pronouns are he and him, if that small thing would make a big difference to children?
1: I think it would. I think it would just show that. I think I also didn't get time to touch it, but I know that towards the end of year 12, early year 13, there was, I think, a teacher who was gender non-conforming. I think that provides an opportunity for those teachers to feel more accepted and welcomed because they may not be comfortable, you know, the MX campaign that um, Tom Pashley set up, I think is really amazing. I think that would be something that's so positive, just showing that, not necessarily even for students, but for gender non-conforming teachers, it provides an the opportunity to say, like, we exist, you know, we're not, you know, we're not Mr., we're not uh, Mrs., we're, you know, MX. Um, and it, it provides opportunity, it provides that space. And I think the he-him thing the pronouns thing is necessary, but I think people sort of overstate its importance a little bit. It overstates this. I do sometimes get frustrated in queer spaces where we have to go around and share our pronouns when I know that all of us here are cis, all of us here use the pronouns that we look like. Why does it matter? I understand it's about making people more comfortable, but it's, I think sometimes when you're in those spaces and all of you, are uh, cis is not necessarily necessary I think it's hard to track about this because I think as I said the importance is overstated you know whilst it does encourage things to make things more open and people willing to share stuff at the same time if you're not doing it I'm not going to come down on you and say you're a bad ally you're not doing the right thing why don't you have this on your zoom on your um, social media bias, what you're a bad person but I think the more you do it and the more we encourage people to do it the better it becomes because it makes people open it makes people allowed to just you know it's, it's like saying how you'd like to refer i think it should be as common as you know oh hi my name's josh nice to meet you it, it should be something similar to that because it's you know my name isn't a big deal but it just it's the right way to refer to someone it's the right way to get their attention to refer to them
2: i wonder if straight allies have kind of jumped on the bandwagon of pronouns because it's the thing everyone's talking about is do you think there's anything else that straight allies could be doing or straight teachers could be doing as allies to support apart from pronouns
1: a great way to be an ally and to show that you're an ally is just by by being the wind in the sails you don't need to be the person fighting for change you need to be the person supporting that change and even just providing the opportunity for that change. For example, say you are a head teacher, and you're concerned about you know curriculum not being as inclusive as possible. Invite, make that space to have you know queer teachers, queer students, people come to a forum and say, look, this is where we think it could be more inclusive. This is where we think it could be better. You know, because for example, the government guidelines on RSE, their guidelines. You know, there's nothing stopping a head teacher, the leader of the the person leading the teaching of it saying, I actually want to get some different opinions on this. You know, let's get teachers that I know, queer and we can talk about. Let's get queer students who may be older to talk about, to um, just discuss with me about how I can make it better. So it, it's about. It's not about causing change. It's about allowing change to happen.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's a, there's still a lot to be done. I think that it sounds like, interestingly, your experiences. It's a bit like me listening to myself when I was younger. Um, I grew up in a small town, so it's very similar to um, how I experienced it. Do you think it is different in cities?
1: I think change happens in the cities first. You know, when you look at London, when you look at Manchester, Liverpool, all these places, change tends to happen there first. And it takes a little while for things in other more rural places to catch up a bit, and I know that when I ran for co-chair of LGBTIQ+ LGBT, LGBT young Greens, I sort of talked about I want to try and not leave these rural places out. So often when we talk about queer education, queer issues, all this stuff, it's in the big cities. It's in London. It's in all this stuff, and it's about trying to push that change wider than the cities. So we're trying to push change into the rural areas, into those areas where people are maybe not as accepting, and it, it's about standing sh- standing steadfast and just saying you know, I am going to extend this to this, I am going to push it further because I think, as I said I think right at the beginning was you know, queer people who are different often end up leaving these small towns because they don't feel welcome, they don't feel accepted, and it's this cycle of lack of representation so you don't feel accepted, so you move somewhere else but that means the next generation don't have that that I, that representation. They don't have those people there. If it does take people from these cities who are knowledgeable coming to these more rural areas, then that's what it takes.
2: This is only talking from my personal experiences working what, four different schools across London now, is that actually the change we're talking about, I would argue isn't really there in schools. Some schools are doing it and doing it amazingly.
1: The lesbian teacher I was talking about, she sort of dragged my school kicking and screaming. You know, she set up a diversity club, she set up all these things to try and get more things done. But I think a lot of it was extracurricular. I think you know it's a problem sort of from government downwards. You know, we it's about trying to make change within schools. And I think sometimes as a teacher, obviously you have a set curriculum that teaches a certain amount of time. But as I said, it doesn't have to be an entire lesson dedicated to queer history. It's about putting those footnotes in, providing that subtext, providing the context on these people. It's about Teaching a figure as they truly were, that teaching history as it truly was. It's not about, and I think as I said, it's not about trying to push change and you know, I'm gonna have an entire lesson dedicated to LGBT history. It's about okay, we're gonna continue with our regular history curriculum, but we're gonna talk about. So, for example, in um A-level history, you do World War II, you know, maybe when you're talking about two, you could touch on queer issues in that. You could touch about the fact that a lot of queer people were left in the country because they weren't rescued and liberated you could talk about it's not finding that context and that little subnote in history it's not about
0: well alan turing for example is a great yeah. example of world war ii history that isn't
2: talked about really
1: I, it's, it's all these things you know i well, i did psychology uh, for my a-levels and we had a whole unit on relationships and i remember sitting there as a queer student being like well i disprove half these theories my existence as a queer person disproves most of these theories because i don't care about getting on i don't care about all this stuff that are that's heteronormative you know i think i think my teacher could have maybe done a bit more and said like well actually these aren't the most representative queer relationships it only took me sitting there and being like well i exist and i don't care about i'm a queer person that it took that challenging i think so much of it could be that and so much it could be so important to teach that but, for example, I think it's really negative to have whole units dedicated to homosexuality and learning the different religious views on that as if it's a debate, as if it's something to be discussed and, more. There's, there's one view that's wrong. That You know, it's about... Sometimes there isn't two sides to an argument. There isn't two sides to homosexuality. There isn't a good side and a bad side. There, there just is. And I think more could have been done to challenge that. More could be introduced to about certain issues that we don't need to debate everything not everything is a debate you know there is no good and bad side it just exists and we have to deal with it and queerness homosexuality trans people that is just what happens and do you think
2: you know we were talking about psychology and being able to disprove theories just because you're sat there going well that's i can disprove that now do you think that would have been if, if there would have been a safe space in that in those in your psychology lessons to talk about it, do you think you probably
1: would have shared your voice a bit more? You know, I think a lot of the curriculum around certain subjects is still quite outdated and needs to be updated. Psychology is one of them because a lot sort of the theories we're studying were from the 1950s and 60s. So obviously, I can disprove that because they weren't thinking of it. They still thought it was mental illness or crime. So, you know, a lot of the science subjects like psychology, sociology, do need to sort of be updated. They need to make things relevant to now and what's actually happening now and what's actually going on now. And I understand that may be hard to print textbooks about, but we don't necessarily need textbooks everything. We can keep things updated, fresh and relevant.
0: I think that's a really interesting point and something I've never really thought about before is that the exam boards the schools will use to set the, the syllabus they teach actually is based on material that is out of date, especially when you look at subjects like psychology and sociology. So, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point because in primary school, we've got it a lot easier. We haven't got to worry about exam boards. We just teach the curriculum and adapt it to fit our community.
2: So
1: it's frustrating to have this There's a gap between what the exam boards teach and what's actually going on in the world maybe it's on the exam boards to be a bit more proactive and not wait for new governments to guidelines to come on, and just be a bit more proactive and say, well, we can still teach this guidance, we still teach following these guidelines, but we're actually going to bring it a bit more relevant. We're going to include more relevant examples, more relevant research, especially now that things are becoming more online. You know, school's meant to prepare you for the real world, but how are you meant to go into university when all the stuff you've been taught is is irrelevant?
0: So that is it for this episode of the Queer Ed Podcast. Part one and part two have given us a lot to think about. We've spoken at length about how we can make sure that children's identity is nurtured while they're in school. That they have a safe space to grow and to accept who they are without the fear of prejudice or being bullied. And certainly when we think about the Equality Act of 2010 and actually how sexual orientation and gender reassignment are protected characteristics. We reflected as well on the importance of not only ensuring that our curriculum, the academic subjects that we provide for our children are authentic and relevant and represent a wide, diverse uh, community, but also that we provide that holistic development for our children, that they feel safe to grow into people and to be citizens of the world that actually have a good understanding, a good grasp of what is around them out there. Whether they're queer or whether they're straight. Actually, it's about educating everybody so that that everybody is aware of each other's difference and that can be truly accepted and celebrated. And I just want to end by saying that Josh so eloquently said that for allies, it's about being the wind behind the sails. And I certainly hope if you're listening to this podcast as an ally, that you can be that wind behind the sails. You do not need to be a large gust, but certainly even as Gentle Breeze is moving the conversation forward. For now... I'm David Church, wishing you a happy and queer week.